G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. So, Coleman Ruiz, R-U-I-Z, Coleman Ruiz, he was a, a US Navy SEAL um, and he was deployed in both Afghanistan uh, and Iraq. Um, he was a SEAL for some, thir- or with the SEALs for some 13 years, uh, and many of those in a in combat capacity as a soldier. Um, he's now retired and he works in the corporate sector. Anyway, Coleman Ruiz, he has some advice for us. Uh, as we try to make sense of, as we try to make the best of uh, a, a time of social isolation, of, of aloneness, of distance, something that a, a Navy SEAL knows an awful lot about. Perhaps it's a helpful frame for us as we come to Luke 17, that's why I mention it. He says that we, we are all living now an experience that bears uncanny similarity to deployment, as in the deployment of soldiers in a a theatre of war. Uh, Soldiers and their families at the present time, he says, will recognise what's going on in the broader community because they have already lived it. Now, have a listen to uh, what he says, the analogy he makes, I guess, between deployment and our lives at the present time in our sort of uh, social distance, physical distance, physical isolation. He says this, he says, The sudden change and disruption is jarring. Most of us will toggle from joy to anger within minutes of building a living room fort with the kids that turns into a fight five minutes later. Sometimes there are a hundred things to do at once. Sometimes you are bored out of your mind. Sometimes you're on full alert. And sometimes you just need quiet. It's like that on deployment he says. You are away from the rest of the world. At the very least, you're away from many of the people you love. It is difficult to stay in touch. You're isolated in your own little forward operating base, your house, he says. Yet outside, there is an adversary, an enemy, if you will, lurking outside who you can't see and don't know where they are. You only make contact with the adversary if you go to it or it comes to you. Um, Have you been feeling something akin to deployment as Coleman Ruiz describes it? You know, alone and sort of stuck where you are um, with a lurking threat just outside. Is it even there, uh, right there at the moment? Perhaps it is. Will I have to face it? Am I up to the task? Uh, of uh, of facing it. Some of us are probably very confident that our bodies can take it, but probably some of us are wondering, I'm not sure if my body can tackle particular threat. Now, uh, Coleman Ruiz, as someone who was deployed six times across various theatres of war, he's got some advice for us. I'm not going to rehearse the whole article to you, it's a pretty good read actually, if you can track it down, Coleman Ruiz, um, and I think it's entitled, What is Deployment? Uh, what's it like on deployment. Um, uh, but one piece of his advice stuck out to me and I'd like to share that with you, I'll read it. He says, he says, thirdly, use what author Robert Greene calls alive time, okay, alive time. Greene says there are two kinds of time in life, alive time and dead time. Dead time is where we're passive and biding. Alive time 
is us learning and acting and leveraging every second towards our future. It's pretty standard, he says. It's pretty standard for folks on deployment to learn a language, finish a college degree, read tons of books and get in the best shape of their lives. One of my best buddies did 5,000 pull-ups in 30 days. You can do the math. Email me if you complete it, he says. By the way, this buddy actually finished it in 20 days. (laughs) 5,000 pull-ups. Brothers and sisters, will we emerge from this season of life, having seen it as a live time, a time for growth, spiritually speaking, in the best shape of our lives, or are we victims and is this dead time for us, biding our time? Um, Today, Luke chapter 17, Jesus places a challenge before His disciples, which, in my opinion, is far more grand than, what what does it work out to be, than 250 pull-ups a day, or whatever it is, 5,000 across 20 days. Jesus' challenge for us is far more grand than that, I think. Um, How could it look for these days in which we find ourselves to be a lifetime for us? Uh, Not as soldiers, but as Christians and as followers of Jesus, as brothers and sisters together in the Lord, though separate from one another in the world for a time. Uh, Let's pray together as we come to Luke 17 now. Please join me in prayer. Our Father God in heaven, we do want to um, pause and thank you for the extraordinary sacrifice made by men and women in military conflict down through history. Since uh, we've raised this analogy, we just want to pause and thank you for that. Uh, their efforts and their sacrifice to preserve and protect and uh, expand the relative freedoms and peace that we enjoy so much. And we don't lightly draw a comparison between their situation and ours, uh, but perhaps, Father, there are points there that are instructive and helpful for us. Father, we know that this virus is a matter of life and death for some, And we know that it involves a fight of sorts with a very broad front indeed, even into every household and to some degree in every heart and every conscience. Father, would you please teach us this morning not just to be good soldiers for Christ, but good servants of our King and for your holy and healing purposes in our world, may we learn that. We pray it in Jesus' name and by your Spirit, please. Amen. Now, uh, let me be perfectly straight with you. There's, uh, uh, while I really appreciate Coleman Ruiz's uh, article there and his advice, uh, I take issue with one point, at least as I've summarised it, maybe I've been unfair, he's a a more subtle thinker, you'll have to read him in context. But I, I take issue with one aspect of Coleman Ruiz's Uh, advice there for us, and it's this, it's that I think the rich man from Luke 16, do you remember him from Luke 16, from a couple of weeks ago? That's our context as we come to Luke 17, Um, the rich man and Lazarus and all the rest. Uh, I think the rich man would actually be very pleased, in a sense, to be isolated away from the world with all of its troubles and woes, Uh, with a personal improvement project for him to progress his way through uh, for a few months. So, do you remember Luke chapter 16 and the rich man there? Uh, So, turn back a page or whatever it is in your Bible, Luke 
chapter 16, verse 19, let's just uh, pick it there. Uh, There was a rich man, here he is, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked uh, his Lazarus's sores. Now, can you see the rich man there? Uh, Locked away behind his gate, up in his lavish house. Uh, You can see him, can't you, learning a language or uh, perfecting his pull-ups in his converted uh, garage-come-home-gymnasium kind of a thing there. Now, how does that fit with Luke 17? I think Jesus builds for us instead a picture of how our alive lives can look, should look, must look, if we're to serve not just ourselves, but our Saviour. And not just in this season of life, but in every season of life, of course. Will we become the best me? Will you become the best you during this period of separation and isolation? Um, Well, the way to measure that isn't just in terms of my skills and my personal bests and my sort of focused priorities in life. Rather, have I grown in one or all of these three areas. Uh, Here are our points for today, these three areas that Luke 17 covers. Do I firstly strive for repair? Have I grown in that skill? Do I serve someone remarkable? And do I celebrate restoration? So, are our weeks and months, however long this season is, of a lifetime for us spiritually, uh, are are we learning to... um, to strive for repair, serve someone remarkable and celebrate restoration? Uh, Do we emerge from this time all the more rich and prepared and and full in those senses? Uh, Or have I done nothing more with this time than than dead time, growing in selfish skills and and celebrating my own successes and, and so forth? Let's dive in. Luke chapter 17, and I've got to be honest with you, Luke 17, it contains some difficult verses, some words that I've found uh, troubling, and I wonder if you saw that as, uh, as they were read to us a few moments ago. Uh, troubling why? Troubling how so? Because, well, firstly, in this first section, I'm wary of giving the victim of a sin responsibility for effecting repair in relationship. Do we strive for repair as Christians? I think we want to say, yes, absolutely, like it's part of the gospel itself, the repair and reconciliation that we enjoy uh, with God through Christ. We want to be people who strive for repair, but the reality, um, it proves confronting when it comes down to it as we uh, read these words from Jesus. Let's have a look together, Luke 17 and verse 1, Jesus said to His disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So, watch yourselves. Now, that first bit, those first three verses, they're okay, aren't they? Are there spiritually vulnerable people in my life around me uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, are you, spiritually speaking, sort of, am I, in the rich man's shoes, so to speak, the one who bears influence, the secure shoes, bearing influence over them, the little ones, 
the vulnerable, more vulnerable ones, spiritually speaking, uh, and that's whether you're a leader, appointed or not, you've just happened to have been a Christian for quite some time, or by dint of personality or whatever it is, then watch yourself, Christian, that's what Jesus is saying, for the jaws of hell devoured that rich man. I mean, that's where that story went and will devour you too if their spiritual downfall can be traced back to you and your negligence and the hurdles that you threw across their path. Verse 3, so watch yourselves. That's probably important for us to bear in mind, does Jesus have a heart for to see the vulnerable repaired and the weak nurtured and made strong? He absolutely does, but does that sufficiently soften things for us as we read these harder words in verses 3 and 4, and want to, as we want to be people who strive for repair. Verse 3, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, brothers and sisters, the, the pointy end of my discomfort, and I'm sure you feel it as well, it, friends, we know there are some sins where you actually need an awful lot of help to confront the sinner, the one who sinned against you. And we know there are some sinners with whom confrontation actually wouldn't be safe if you just went and sort of tried to bluntly apply this passage. And if you're in those shoes right now, wherever you are, or if these words trigger in your mind scenarios like that, then I'd actually want to encourage you to just pause and take a more roundabout, can I put it that way, a more roundabout, indirect um, application of these verses, rather than a simplistic and blunt um, I would even say careless application here, um, can you instead talk to someone, you know, whether to me or one of the other elders uh, at church, one of the other, a trusted friend, uh, because we will listen, because you're not alone. I, I don't want you to attempt to apply this on your own, in isolation, do you see? In fact, and I say this to all of us, um, I think the whole point of this passage, isn't it, is to avoid having us silo off on our own, into our own little world and, and sort of trapped in our own circumstance. No, it's trying to paint a picture of community because sin and grudges and unforgiveness do have the capacity to splinter church communities apart. Will we instead strive for repair? And maybe this is particularly important and in a sense particularly difficult for us uh, in the present season where, physically speaking, we're not able to get to one another. We do have to rely on phone calls a bit more. There are some sins where I, I might decide just to, to not even raise it and instead sort of forgive it in forbearance if you, if you get what I mean. Sometimes the other person, of course, might not even realise what they're doing. Christian community is a challenging thing. Will we be people who strive for repair? Verse 3, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. But does that still sound a bit much? 
It seems it did to the apostles. So we're on the right track if we're still feeling the tension there. Uh, you know, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. You know, like it can't be done. Who's got that kind of a forgiving capacity to be able to do that? Which is why, secondly, we strive to repair as we, secondly, serve someone extraordinary. I think Jesus is saying, uh, it's not your lack of faith, it's not faith that you lack, but is it that you've lost sight of whom you serve, that you serve someone extraordinary, someone remarkable? Verse uh, 5, the Apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you, right? I think it's hyperbole, but he's saying the lack of faith is not your problem. A little bit of faith can do extraordinary things. Verse 7, suppose one of you has a, uh, has a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Now, does that help us heal our hurts with one another? knowing that it's our duty, does, or, or does that only kind of compound our, the inner conflict within us, us unworthy, sometimes a little bit less than dutiful um, servants that we are, weary, uh, perhaps from spiritual work, wondering whether we serve a, a thankless master. I mean, it's not a very flattering picture that Jesus employs here. Friends, step, step back with me from Luke 17 for just a moment. I suspect some of us are strained and weary, stressed and worried at the present moment. And we hear these words and instead of inspiring us to wonder, they kind of burden us with an added layer of worry. Because forgiveness is hard. Maintaining a posture of forbearance is really difficult sometimes. Now, if that's you, could I ask you to remember for a moment, not so much what's being said here, although that's obviously crucial, but who is doing the speaking? Because in a list of commands and to-dos, you know, you've got to repent and you've got to forgive and you've got to serve and you've got to have at least a little bit of faith, have we perhaps lost sight of who it is that's speaking and when it is in his ministry that he's doing this talking? I'll admit to you, I found this week some of these words quite hard until I realised that they are given to me from a man who was on his way to the cross. Does that help reshape what we're hearing just a little bit? My Jesus, who, as he was giving these commands, saw his crucifixion ahead. This is the part of Luke's Gospel that we're in. We're on the way to Jerusalem, the relentless march toward, well, what happens to Jesus in Jerusalem and the sin against him more than seven times in a single day. Do you see? He's giving us a commentary in advance of what's going to happen to him. My Jesus, who saw his crucifixion ahead and he calls me and he calls you to relentlessly forgive, to maintain that posture, 
through the difficult days, as it gets hard to put one foot in front of the other. Even if someone hurts me a dozen times in a day, forgive, Jesus is saying. This is the character that I'm calling you to. My Jesus, who saw the will of his Father, right, who served the will of his Master, saw the the will of his Father leading him when he was weary and worn out and heavy laden and couldn't even carry the cross beam of his, his cross. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Friends, uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord this morning, we hear the call, not just of a book, you know, words on a page, we hear the call of our Saviour as He heads to uh, the cross, come and serve like me, strive alongside me for the repair of sinners, like I strove and lived and stumbled and had a millstone hung around my neck and thrown into the sea, metaphorically speaking, as he went to his cross. Now, does that lend us, at least, a willingness to hear his words a little differently, a little more soberly and uh, generously and humbly, can I say, as servants who serve someone extraordinary? Our master is not a thankless miser, he's a selfless martyr. And not for his own sake, but for mine, and not for his gain, but for ours. Friends, I think we serve someone extraordinary if we've the eyes to see it in this passage. And so, thirdly, finally, will we then celebrate restoration? So, do we strive for repair, recognize that we serve someone extraordinary, and do we strive? Uh, Sorry, do we celebrate then restoration? You're going to remember, of course, um, as we look at this last little section here, um, do you remember the connotations of what it is to be a Samaritan and what it was to come from Samaria? Uh, So, uh, Samaria, the Samaritans, uh, what were they? They were the, I guess you'd say, the spiritually compromised uh, within the broader people of God, morally questionable um, religiously foreigners, right? Self, uh, deliberately separated from all the things of God in Jerusalem and at the heart of their religion, religiously foreigners. They're kind of like cousins, but very much the black sheep of the family, okay? So, multiply that, right, by leprosy, which, if you, if I can put it this way, is like the uh, original social distancing measures, all right? May they never come within a bull's roar of us, Will we be people who celebrate the salvation even of the Samaritan leper, so to speak? Luke chapter 17, verse 11, let's pick it up together, last little section, verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, there he is, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, probably more than a metre and a half, (laughs) And called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. Notice how close he comes now. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, 
your faith has made you well. Just just pause on that last verse, right? Actually, because that's not quite what it says, actually. A better translation, in my opinion, and I'm not alone on this, look, this, this might well be right, but I think a better translation is, rise and go, your faith has saved you, right? The word there, saved, it can mean healed, but I think Jesus is making a more profound point. Rise and go, your faith has saved you. Jesus doesn't call for us to congratulate Him on a cleansing, but to join with Him in celebrating the salvation of the most the unlikely, the least likely, the most distant, the furthest away of people, a Samaritan leper. Will we celebrate? Uh, will we have an eye for, a heart for the salvation of the most lost, the most distant, the most separate? And are we taking steps to pursue that? Will you and I friends, emerge, my brothers and sisters of Good News Church, will we emerge from our present um, deployment with hearts set on seeking repair, on serving our Master and celebrating the salvation of the community around us, even the least likely of candidates for Christ as we might perceive them. I'm going to leave us with these words from Daryl Bock, Uh, on this passage, on Luke 17, he says, uh, disciples are not to pursue their spirituality in isolation from one another. For Jesus, faith is not merely a private affair, but something the community pursues together. The community of believers is a family in the sense that the best interests of each member is a concern of each other member. Thus, the call to rebuke is the exercise of a familial responsibility. The assumption in all this is that the disciples have a certain quality in their relationships that allow this kind of positive, honest, loving, confronting behaviour to occur without destroying their relationships. What a vision for our community life. Are we preparing for that when we come back together? And are we, as much as we can, experiencing that, practicing that even now. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you, our saving God. We thank you that your concern was not the destruction of a relationship with us, but rather the opposite, to establish through Christ a bond with us and even bonds between us that cannot be broken by sickness, even by death or anything else in all the world. Father, may we right now, limited as we are, strive with all the power that you work within us to serve the risen Christ right where we are in our deployment, to serve his heart and his holiness, his healing for a busted and broken world. Father, we do pray that forgiveness specifically would become our way more and more. May we become well-practised in that, May we become courageous in that. Would you give us the strength to do that? Uh, That repair and restoration might be our aim more and more. And that we'd even learn to pursue personally the things that please you, profit the communities around us, even those most distant from you, uh, grow us more like Jesus, please. And in his name we ask for your empowering help. Amen.